I'll be reading from God's holy scripture and then the book of Matthew beginning in chapter 7 and verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Do not judge lest you be judged, for in the same way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, behold, the log is in your... No, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see more clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you, when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a, snow, a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? words from our King, Jesus, certainly beg the question to his disciples, how? How do you live in such a way that you judge without being a judgmental person? I was thinking of the, the, the words that the men sang earlier, be thou the center of our least endeavor. How? How do you live your life in such a way that, that it's your heart's desire for God to be at the very center of whatever you might consider your least endeavor? In the Sermon on the Mount, our King, Jesus, calls his people to a life that is not only difficult, but frankly is impossible to live in our own strength, impossible to live by our natural instincts, by our natural abilities. I mean, the king has said to his people in this sermon, you are to shine as light in darkness. That's a kingdom life in your neighborhood. Among those who are not Jesus' people, you are meant to shine as light shines into darkness. You belong to a kingdom that calls you to life that actually preserves what is good and right in the world, purifies the world. It's a life that slows the rot in our community, seasons our relationships with godliness. That's life in the kingdom. Says who? Says the king. 
And our text this morning answers the question, how? How do you live this life that is not merely difficult in our fallen humanity, but in fact is impossible outside of enablement from God? How do you, for example, forgive those who hurt you? Anybody here been hurt? How do you love those who hate you? How do you pray for it? Do good to your enemies. How do you judge rightly between what is good and what is best? How? Well, verse 7 is the answer in Matthew 7, isn't it? Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you, says the king. The Christian life is a life of ongoing dependence upon God. Ongoing dependence upon God. As a child in the womb depends upon that umbilical cord and then continues to be dependent after she is born, so you who are repentant, Jesus-believing people are born again to depend on an ongoing basis upon God. So please, please know this, and we haven't even started yet, right? So just, just notice this. If your Christianity is routinely lived in your own strength, by your own understanding, in your own natural ability, I guarantee that you are not living the life that God has called you to live. That is not the Christian life. We're called to an otherworldly life. And it requires an absolute dependence upon God. Okay, so are we ready to start? The the verbs in verse 7, as it turns out, are critical. Ask, seek, knock. These verbs are, are present tense active, okay? Meaning what? Always... On an ongoing basis, be doing these things. I I do not have within me the ability to forgive others, and so I continually bring this calling before God. I, I cannot, in my own strength, live out a righteousness that is sincere, that is real, that is unfeigned, that isn't just put on for others to see, Though I want to live so sincerely, and so I bring this need, I bring this desire continually before my Father in heaven. I lack the wisdom necessary to navigate a very nuanced life. Are you ever struck as I am by the amount of gray there is in life? It's not always black and white, is it? Where does that wisdom come from? I I continually depend on my father to infuse his wisdom and energize right living. And he does so generously for his dependent children. That's what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew 7. Constant, persistent, expectant asking is vital to the Christian life. Now, broad brushing it, that's prayer, isn't it? Prayer is is the life breath of real Christianity. 
I, I would say that a prayerless Christian is a contradiction. It's like a body that's not breathing. And yet, how many of us would have to admit to having this tendency to live as disciples um, in, in the spiritual equivalent of, of, of holding our breath? Jesus' half-brother, James, very possibly had this in mind when he wrote in his epistle. This is from James 1. He said, if any, man, if any of you lacks wisdom... By the way, that's all of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, doubting nothing, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, all that I need to live a kingdom life is available for the asking. And so that old adage, you know, God never gives you more than you can handle. If that's your bumper sticker, take it off. If it's your friend's bumper sticker, take it off for him. If you don't know him, leave it alone and pray. God gives you all sorts of stuff you can't handle. And he calls you and he calls me to this impossible life outside his steady enablement. So we're meant to be dependent upon him for that enablement. So again, constant, persistent, expectant, asking, that's the, the, the heir, if you will, of the Christian life. Do you realize God does not save you? and then leave you to live for him in your own strength and ability? Aren't you glad for this? Did not our Savior say, apart from me, you can do nothing? Remember that one, John 15? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, abide in me, stay in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing translates a Greek word that means nothing. <laughs> you can do nothing of kingdom value by God's measure apart from his enablement. Ask consistently, persistently, expectantly. Um, you still listening? What do you, what do you suppose James means? When he says double-minded, ask, but, but don't be double-minded. Who, who is the double-minded man or the, or the double-minded woman? Well, it, it's to do with this word seek in Matthew 7, 7. There's asking and then there's seeking, right? The dependent Christian is not passive. The dependent Christian is active. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Seeking is asking plus acting. Don't miss that. Earnest asking alone is not sufficient. I am meant to be active in pursuing what God has promised to give. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. We dare not simply pray 
that the Lord would give us a deeper and deeper understanding of the scriptures. How many of you know we're meant to search and examine the scriptures? They go together, the asking and the seeking. Sit under the teaching of God's word. Live in obedience to God's revealed will. How many of you know this is God's revealed will? Ask, seek. How many of us ask God to show us his will and yet we don't really search the scriptures to find his revealed will? I'm just waiting for God to zap me with an understanding of how he wants me to live life. Let me ask you something if you're doing that. Have you been zapped yet? Probably not. The world is happy to zap you. How many of us ask God to show us his will knowing we will not obey his will if it's something other than what we'd prefer? This is always the danger of this stuff being practical, right? And personal. Ask and seek. God does not give us easy templates for every difficult circumstance that comes our way in life. His desire is that we rely on him relationally, that we rely on him constantly, that we rely on him directly. How many of you parents are praying this for your children? How many of you have parents who dared to pray this for you? What a blessing that is. Don't just pray that God will provide for your material needs. You're meant to honor God's means. Get a job as he enables. Don't just ask for discernment in, you know, how to, how to judge rightly without being a judgmental person. Think it through. Do the hard work of seeking and searching to understand. Again, seeking is asking plus acting. To, to ask and not seek, in other words, according to James, would be double-minded. I'm asking for something I don't intend to step into myself. I'm asking to understand something that I'm not energized enough to, to seek that understanding in Scripture. There, there, there's a quote from John MacArthur, I think is helpful in this area, uh, from his commentary on Matthew. He says, Our Father does not want us to have all the answers in our hip pocket. In His Word... God gives enough truth for us to be responsible, but enough mystery for us to be dependent. And then MacArthur says, he gives us his word not only to direct our lives, but to draw our lives to him. It's, it's the asking, seeking disciple who, whose heart is being drawn to the king. Do you care if this is practical for a minute? Husbands, think of the command in Scripture that we dwell with our wives with understanding. Please look up here. Do not look around. <laughs> this is very important. Um, do, do, do we pray for this understanding, men, all the while, all the while failing to study our wives, F failing to consider her, to be, to be attentive to her, 
that, that we might actually gain an understanding of the way God has shaped her? Or we just want to be zapped with this thing called understanding? Wives, the imperative that you submit to the, the, the headship of your husband, do, do you seek to understand the church's response to Christ? Because that's the template we're given in Ephesians 5. That, that you might know what it is to follow the leading of a husband who follows Jesus. Or, or, or do, are, you, are you not tempted to just decide for yourself what that looks like? How wide is the gap sometimes between our asking and our seeking? Do you see the difference? Anybody? I won't move on until more of you answer. Do you, do you see the difference? All right. It's always helpful if there's a, a slight acknowledgement. Last week I gave the example of the election that's coming up and the need for God's people to exercise judgment, discernment in light of Matthew 7. And how many of you know we need wisdom from God not just to discern, discern good from bad, but, but good from what's better? Oftentimes, this is what it is to, to live in this world. And so we ask the Father to give us discernment that we might judge rightly, that we might be good stewards as citizens who have a right to vote. We, we, we dare not pray for discernment all the while, we spend no energy whatsoever trying to understand what in the world it is we're voting about. We're not meant to just make pretty patterns with the ovals in the voting booth, right? And usually there's not enough people on the ballot to do that anyway. As you know, we have a library board election coming up in parts of the county. And we have some candidates with campaign signs all over the place that say protect our children on them. And that sounds really, really good. And yet, under their leadership, our libraries have used tax money to buy some of the filthiest materials you can imagine in the sake of being broad-minded, open-minded. And so you and I need to do the hard work of understanding that issue and seeking from the Lord discernment from him about how we ought to vote. What, what we need from the Father, he is pleased to give as we ask and we seek. So there, there, there's a subtle progression here in verse 7, isn't there? It's to, see, we've moved on. It's safe now. <laughs> Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Uh, so here I stand, insufficient on my own, uh, uh, unable in my own strength to, to live out the life that God calls me to live. Uh, and on the, on the other side of that gate of enablement, there is my Father in heaven who delights to give the very things that I am needful of. And so I'm, I'm meant to um, persevere in my knocking. So, so knocking is asking uh, plus acting plus persevering. And there's not a mom in this room who doesn't know what it is for children to persevere. 
Man, I was reminded of this last Friday. We're at my son's house, and, and um, we're, we're, we're just having a, a conversation around dinner outside, and we heard um, this, this sound that just brought silence. It's the ice cream man. And the uh, ice cream man is coming. Um, but, but he's like a mile away, right? Sound carries. And, and our little grandchildren, um, bless their hearts, they, th- that's all they could focus on. Ice cream man's coming. And how many times do you suppose those kids asked mom and dad, can we get ice cream? What, do you think it was once? They just asked once and then they went and sat down quietly and did the kid-related stuff. Not a chance. I mean, all hope for any kind of adult conversation, gone. Totally gone. And I'm not even sure where I was going with that. But, it, but it's the, um, oh, it's the persistent knocking, right? It's the, what a delight that is to the father when his children persist, knowing that he delights to give in his good providence. Keep asking, keep seeking, like a, like a, a, a loved beggar, a loved child outside the gate of God's enablement. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, for by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. Where does this discernment come from? Well, it comes from God. How does discernment grow in the lives of God's children? Uh, Because of practice, we're to have our senses trained to discern both good and evil. So how do we become trained in discernment? We exercise the discernment that God has given to us. Listen. You can know the Bible from cover to cover intellectually. And you can go to all the classes and you can get all the Awana awards and all of that stuff and yet still have no discernment if if you've never used the Bible in your own life. Please pray for your pastors, your elders in this. We, We don't want to be those guys who know all the stuff And don't live it. And how many of you know, you who are followers of Jesus, you don't want to be those men and women either who can cite chapter and verse, but it's not really happening in your own life. And so if you want to get all exercised about what's going on at the library, meanwhile, you're privately addicted to pornography, that's called hypocrisy. And you'd be better off repenting of that and turning from that and Don't talk about it, the library stuff, because you lost the high ground. Is this practical enough? The person still on milk, not meat, is the one who says, well, I I asked God to give me strength to, to stop taking these pills. 
to stop going to that website, to stop criticizing this other person. But you know what? He didn't zap me right away. He didn't supernaturally relocate me physically. After all, if God didn't want me to do it, he wouldn't have let me do it, right? No, that's not right. That's not right. Knocking is asking plus acting plus persevering. I'm meant to persevere in asking and actively seeking what the Father has promised. You know, I had, had a, a brother in Christ who years ago said this to me about prayer. He said, if, if, you, if you don't want what you are asking for enough to persist in prayer for it and, and actually search for it, then you really don't want it too badly anyway. I don't know about the theology of that. But see, I mean, it seems, seems good, doesn't it? But I found that helpful. It's a measure of whether that actually matters to me or not. Our constant dependence implies a persevering practice. Again and again, we go to God in faith. You still paying attention? So Jesus here refers to this continuous, persistent asking and seeking. And and earlier I used the word expectant. What did I mean by that? Everybody knows what the word expectant is. Um, We have a daughter who's expecting a baby. That's pretty exciting. Any day now. Um, If Pam and I remember to keep our ringers on, um, we'll get a text that tells us to come and get the other two kids. And our prayer is that we don't miss it this time, like, like we did last time. This, uh, this, is, our, this is the third pitch uh, for this family. But um, our daughter is an expectant mother. Um, Any time she's going to get a baby, um, that's going to happen. The details are not known. Boy, girl, lots of hair, no hair, bearded, we don't know. But here, here's the thing. But she's expectant. There's going to be a baby. Are, are you expectant in your asking and your seeking and your knocking? Meaning that the Lord will respond. Then just think about this. Your father delights to respond. Our father will respond to his children. It's a given. It's a certainty. It's just that the details of his response are unknown, aren't they? What is known, what is certain, is that his answer will be according to his goodness. It will be according to his infinite wisdom. I know I am not the only person in this room who has experience with asking and asking and asking. And the Lord gives something other than what was asked for. But you know what, friends? My father will either give me what I ask or he will give me something better by his measure. You see, I'm meant to trust in him, not what I hope to get from him. I'm meant to trust from him, trust in him. So in in that sense, there really is no such thing as unanswered prayer. I know that sounds like you know, fun with words or something, but, but, but just think it through. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, um, your father delights to give. 
Your Father who is in heaven will give what is good to those who ask. And then he says in verse 8, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Remember the, the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Who is Jesus speaking to? Everybody? This is the part where you can talk in church. Who's, who's Jesus preaching this to? His disciples, right? He's talking to people who belong to the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is not primarily how to get into the kingdom. It's how to live as a kingdom person. You, you, you come into the kingdom by God's grace with poverty of spirit, knowing that you are utterly hopeless in your sin that you are subject to the wrath of God for that sin. Apart from his intervention, you are hell-bound. And you mourn over this. Oh, but you mourn to a father who is pleased to forgive his repentant children. You, You repent of this poverty of spirit only to hear your father say, that's the only way you can come to me like a little child, dependent as you are. And so this everyone of verse 8 is all who know God as Father. These are the king's blessed people Jesus is speaking of. Among the king's asking people, everyone receives. Among the king's seeking people, everyone finds. Among the king's knocking people, persevering in their dependence, The gate is opened. The door is opened. And I mentioned the verbs in verse 7 and 8 being active present tense. So are the adverbs in verse 8. So in other words, to always be asking means what? You'll always be receiving. Does that not give you hope? You will always be receiving. Always be seeking and you will always be finding. Do not cease to knock because your father will never cease to open the gates of his good supply. Do you see what just happened here? Don't miss what little Bennett has to impart. I'm serious. That's the thing. You just keep asking and there's a response. And the response is good for him. And mom too. And us as well. Look at verse 9. What man is there among you who, when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a... He will not give him a snake, will he? This is a favorite argument that Jesus uses. He argues from lesser to greater. And you know, he's just saying, look, most earthly fathers would not give their hungry children a stone that just looks like a loaf of bread but really isn't. And, and, and what, what about the, the eels that, that swim around in the Sea of Galilee? Well, no, no father would give a hungry child um, a snake, a poisonous snake, when what's really needed is, is a fish, food to eat. Even, even earthly fathers know not to give what is unhelpful unneedful or, or even harmful. So, so, so now we're going in a direction. This is the test of our trust 
in the good providence of God. As you persist in prayer, as you keep acting on his means, you're meant to trust in his goodness. And so am I. As opposed to what? As opposed to trusting in the precise outcome that I've asked for. One of the things I've learned, and some of you have too, is I often ask for the wrong things. That's why John says that you ask and you do not have. Why is that? Is it not that you ask amiss? We don't have the infinite wisdom of our Father to always ask rightly. And so I'm meant to trust in my Father's goodness, not the precise outcome that I've sought from him. Does that make sense? I mean, think of, think of uh, Paul and his, his thorn in the flesh. Remember that one from 2 Corinthians? Paul was given this unprecedented glimpse of paradise. And then he says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, um, you know, he, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of those revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about what Paul is saying. Father, please remove, remove this pain from me. I don't want this. And the father did respond. How? I'll not give you what you ask. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you what only I can supply. Grace to endure to overcome and to serve me, the Father says, through that pain, whatever that was, whatever that pain was. And Paul trusted in his Father's goodness. Oh, how we need to learn the difference between trust in God and trust in what we want God to do for us. You see, your heavenly Father is not like an earthly father in that sense. An earthly father sometimes says yes when he ought not to say yes. And that brings me back to the ice cream man because the thing of it is that living in a fallen world as we do, the ice cream man never showed up. I mean, you could hear the jingle, but it was, you know, it was, it was a long ways away and, and apparently ran out of ice cream or something. And... Um, so now what do you do? Well, you look at the grandparents, right? Um, and grandma and grandpa are there. And, and the solution to that, of course, is you just go to the convenience store and you get ice cream and a toy um, disguised as candy. That's what grandparents do, right? And all the time the parents are saying, well, maybe not before bed and all that. And yeah, 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 off we go. And, um, and, that, and that's our job as grandparents, right? Um, Sometimes we say yes when, when, we, when we shouldn't say yes. 
And I'm not the only father in this room who knows what it is to say no, only to realize a while later, I wish I, wish I, could, I, wish I had that pitch to do over. Amen. Right? Turns out God's not like that. Verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus is simply affirming the, the universal sinfulness of people when he, 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 calls, he calls us evil. If fallen people like you, though saved by grace, are, are, are prone to do this, the answer is yes when it should have been no. It's no when it could have been yes. Um, just bear in mind, your, your heavenly father is not like that. He always gives his best. Our Father's good gifts do not always correspond to our ideas of what we should have. But the Father's good gifts always correspond to what His infinite wisdom and kindness ordain is best. Let me just end with this. There's a Puritan named Samuel Rutherford. I'm always quoting these old dead guys, but the thing of it is, is they, they squeeze this stuff pretty hard. Let's listen to Samuel Rutherford. He said, believe God's word and power more than you believe your own feelings and experiences. Your rock is Christ. It is not the rock which ebbs and flows, but your sea. Now that was soothing to my soul when I reread that last week. And the thing of it is, is Rutherford wrote that from prison to a parishioner who had just um, watched her husband die. And surely that woman prayed for her husband's life. And surely Rutherford's church prayed for their pastor's release from prison. He wasn't a crook. He was a gospel-proclaiming man in a world that hated Jesus. And yet God ordained other than what was asked. And yet it's from Rutherford's pen that he says essentially, believe in your father's love more than your own feelings. And he says that this world can take nothing from you that is truly yours as a child of God. Your rock doth not ebb and flow, but your sea. What a, what a test this is. What a test this is in the Christian's life. Do, do we really imagine we can live as Christians in this world without constant supply from God? And if we're doing so, do we really imagine we're living the lives God has called us to live? How do you face the task yet unfinished? We just sang that. Not in our own strength. Not, not by our own wisdom. The kingdom life is the life in which our king's will is obeyed. Where, where heaven's king is honored and served and trusted absolutely and instinctively. This is not native to us apart from Christ. It's a work of the Spirit. How do we do it? Only by His constant enabling and energizing and asking.
Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful today for this reminder of our neediness. And Lord, we live in a world that preaches to us self-sufficiency. And we have yet within us a will that prefers to be independent. And so, Lord, I thank you for this reminder that we must come to you as desperately needy children to be saved in the first place. And this life that you call us to is a life of neediness that we might persistently, constantly, and actively seek what only you can give. Lord, may it be so among us. And we ask you this, Jesus, for your namesake.